0: The reading today is excerpts from the book of Luke. Um, Luke 5, 15 through 16. But now, even more, the report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke 6:12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Then Luke 9, 18. Now it happened, as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? And then lastly, Luke 11.1. 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Vicky. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. My name is Jeff Skipper. If you've uh, never seen me up here before, I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer and um, I'm the church planning apprentice at Redeemer. And so what that means is uh, I have the privilege of leading a group over to Southwest Winter Haven to start a new congregation of our church, to start a new church on that side of the city. And so uh, we've actually been meeting regularly since the beginning of this year to plan and pray together about what God's doing and what he might do through us. And so um, we are actually hoping to launch Sunday morning services in late January 2016 so that's exciting, right? All right, good. I see your excitement. So only a few months away. Join us in that. And, um, we are excited. We will miss you. I will miss seeing you on Sunday mornings. But, you know, that's part of the, the good pains of following Jesus, right? Death before resurrection, what we want to see happen in our city. And we actually just secured our first worship space, um, which is going to be the Howard Johnson in Southwest Winter Haven. And so uh, we're already being affectionately called Redeemer Hojo. Uh, Instead of Redeemer Southwest, so that's okay. I think family and friends can call us Redeemer Hojo, and that's okay. Um, but really, we are excited. God is providing. Um, yeah, he's hearing your prayers. So keep praying for us, please. Um, you can support us by praying for us, by giving to this work, or, or by joining us. Uh, come with us, uh, if, if God would lay that on your heart. Um, it is an adventure. It will stretch you, for sure, but you will build great relationships And uh, I believe you'll come to know the Lord in a new way, in a unique way. Um, And so, thank you, and and please continue to remember us. Now, this morning, we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, and we transition out of a three-week series on money. So some of you can, you know, we can breathe deep, praise the Lord. Uh, But maybe not, because we're transitioning into the topic of prayer, which can also, uh, you know, make us shy a little bit. Prayer is a central theme throughout all of the Bible. And wherever we find God or God's people, we find prayer. And the New Testament almost sets an expectation that all Christians should have a regular, devoted, fervent prayer life. That's kind of the expectation. It's the assumption. And maybe you shrink down in your seat a little bit of that statement, as I might as well. Uh, But it is true. Uh, If we read about the early church in Acts, it says they were constantly in prayer, it says they were devoted to prayer together and individually. Uh, But before we dig into that, we need to discuss what is prayer? What is it? Well, contrary to what our culture might say, one is, uh, you know, Christian prayer is not simply a mechanism to get our selfish desires accomplished. You know, James 4 talks about that. James says, hey, you're not receiving anything from God because you're really just praying your selfish desires and what you want to be done, not God's will. That's one thing prayer is not. Nor is prayer a form of self-help. That really goes no deeper than kind of an inner dialogue with yourself to get you through the day, right? As our culture may water down the term prayer, uh, you know, and, and give that just that general meaning of, of self talk. <clears throat> but instead, prayer is a primary way Christians commune with God, find fellowship with God, come to know God, and actually receive the blessings He has for them in Christ. Come through prayer. You know, if you want great relationships, you have to communicate. Husbands, wives, yes, you have to. You know, if I don't know you well, it's probably because we haven't communicated a lot. And our relationship with God is no different. You know, if, if we don't feel close to God, if we feel like we don't know Him and we never pray, I would say don't be surprised. Right, that would make total sense. If we never talk to God, speak to Him, go to Him, seek Him in prayer, and we feel like we're, we're distant from Him, that would actually make sense. You know, Luke shows us that a central aspect of Jesus' life is was this regular habit of withdrawing from everything to get alone and pray. He lived a life of dependency on his Father in heaven. And the way Jesus, the primary way he expressed his leaning on God throughout life is by praying. That's how he fleshed that out. So I ask you, is prayer a central part of your life? Is, is prayer, is it necessary for you to get through life itself? You know, is, is it like breathing? If if not, then I ask, you know, how are you doing life? What are you leaning on? When you get under pressure, what is it that you turn to? Because that shows what you trust in, right? How are you dealing with anxiety and fear and worry and and just general fulfillment in life? You know, really what I'm asking is, is how is your heart and how are you taking care of your heart in life? And what role does God and the practice of prayer play in that? Paul Miller wrote a book on prayer, it's called A Praying Life, and in that, he made a statement, he said, prayer doesn't offer you a less busy life, it offers you a less busy heart. Prayer doesn't offer you a less busy life, it offers you a less busy heart, and I think ultimately, that's what we need. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a huge bulk of the New Testament, he knew this. He was constantly praying for those people he loved, and what's striking is that in all of his letters, he rarely, if ever, prayed for a change in their circumstances, now, is praying for a change in your circumstances wrong? Absolutely not. But Paul knew what they needed most was not just a more favorable emperor over them, or less persecution necessarily, or more provision. But instead, Paul knew the best thing God could give his people was himself. And so he said, hey, this is what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. And you would come to know more deeply of the love and the care that God has for you over your life. And when you, become, you begin to see that, it will transform the way you see the world and experience life itself, even suffering. And that's what our hearts need most. But we will only get that by developing a life of gospel-empowered prayer. Because it's in prayer where we grab on to God's promises, we bring them to bear on our lives. It changes our perspective and experience of life, and we find peace. In a word, it's where we find God and come to know Him. So as we start this series, this few weeks, I want us to take more of a general, topical look at prayer this morning. In your worship folder, if you'll look at that outline, there's three points. The barrier to prayer, the barriers to prayer, the posture for prayer, and then the promises and practice of prayer. So I want to begin, what's the problem? I would like for us to start with just the barriers to prayer. Before we dig into what we actually need, we need to identify the things that keep us from prayer and from a life with God that need to be removed, right? So why don't we pray? What keeps us from praying? What deceives us, even if unknowingly, into thinking that we don't need God day to day and therefore we don't need to pray? I think we can name a lot of things that that block our way there, but three barriers to prayer are pride, busyness, and unbelief. Pride, busyness, and unbelief. I wanted to look at each of those. First, pride or independence. Uh, my little boys. Uh, if you don't know me, I have three little boys. They're five, three, and one in two weeks. Five, three, and one, and they have hit that stage where they have to do everything on their own. Parents, you remember that stage, right? This independent streak. They have to do everything on on their own. And you may say, "Well, that's a great problem to have. That's what you ultimately want, right? You're training them to do things on your own. That's a great goal." Yeah, but it's kind of a catch-22 because it can drive you crazy watching them melt down, trying to accomplish these tasks that you know they're just not ready for yet, right? Uh, whether it's putting on their clothes or opening a car door or opening a pack of snacks, they have to do it with no help. I've watched one of my sons. You may be able to guess which one. Uh, he, he's pretty passionate child. That's one word you can put on it. I've seen him fight a wrapper of food trying to open it until he's red in the face with tears streaming, shaking in frustration on the ground, just absolutely exhausted while I'm standing there trying to help him and he just yells, No! And he like, you know, pulls his claw out. Stay away from me! You know, whatever you do, don't try to help me open this. He's just so independent. Stay back. No, even trying to hit me. His independence turns into prideful stubbornness which gets him all worked up, you know, and it blinds him to the fact that I'm standing right there trying to help him. Well, I have to confess, uh, my kids get it honestly. I think all of our kids get that honestly because I think it's a picture of us. It's a picture of us because we try to hang on to the situations of our life and control them and manipulate them, and we attempt to live as if we can do life on our own. You know, my first response when situations come about in life is, okay, what can I do? Not, Lord, help me. It's, what can I do? And I grab onto things, and I start trying to work with it. And living that way results in anxiety, worry, frustration, and ultimately at some point, it it ends in some type of breakdown in my life because my heart is such a mess because I'm trying to to do it all. And this testifies to the fact that we weren't made to do life on our own, we were made to do life with our Father, but instead, we take it all on in our pride and, and we 're stressed out and complaining and breaking down, like my three year old who 's trying to tie his shoes and he just he 's not ready for it so so why do we find it so hard to let go and rest? I think it 's because letting go means we have to trust God, and we often don't. That is the irrational nature of our of our fallen selves in our sin control feels better, even if it makes life more miserable. We need to have control over the situation. So what are you carrying around that's crushing you right now? You know, how does your anxiety reveal that you're trying to do life on your own? You know, Pride, it's a barrier in our lives. It has this independence. It has to be removed to open the door to a life with God and communion with God, to a life of prayer, And and, and that leads to the next barrier. Because we're so prideful, we try to carry all of life on our shoulders so we don't pray. We try to do it all, which makes us really busy. You know, busyness, it's the second barrier to prayer. How many of you have a good two or three hours in the morning on your weekdays to spend time with God alone? A couple hours at night? No one? Yeah, right? None of us. that's, That's laughable. It's like, no way. We have places to be by 7 o'clock, people to see, groceries to buy, meetings to attend. We're smothered in deadlines to meet. We're, we're, we have expectations to meet that we, that we uh, hold over ourselves, expectations from others to live up to. We have events to get to, you know, all hours of the day and night. I, I live off my iCalendar now. You ask me, what are you doing Friday? I need to look at it to tell you what I'm doing Friday, you know. And although these things, a lot of them are good things altogether, they make life very busy. And so, therefore, we have no margin or empty space in our lives to be quiet and pray. We have no margin. There is no empty space in our calendar. To show attention to my heart. To step away and process life and God and who he is. To seek him. And, you know, Jesus can actually relate to us here. Because if you read the Gospels, he was tempted with busyness more than any of us. When you see Jesus, you see crowds of people, needs, Expectations. I mean, they're putting demands on him that, that make our demands pale in comparison. They're like, hey, will you raise my son to life? Oh, okay, yeah, let, let me get right on that. You know, will, you, will you heal my blindness? Totally smothered in people and deadlines. He can sympathize with us, but what you notice in the Gospels as we read those passages is that he didn't let those demands and that his schedule control him. He actually knew that I can't make it through my schedule. I can't make it enter life itself without entering it from a place of stillness with my Father. And so he made time to get away and take care of his soul in prayer. You know, really, what does it profit us to make it through all of our meetings and all of our calendars and all of our schedules if our soul is withering? We have to beware of busyness. And today, right, on top of all those necessary things, jobs, family, life, I mean, we now live in a world where we are constantly connected with social media and smartphones. Second by second, news is coming up. I mean, you probably have fantasy football injury reports popping up on your phone right now. Maybe I just revealed that's probably what my phone looks like right now. Or, I mean, even maybe an update from the church, Redeemer, which are good updates that you need to check, right? But, I mean, there's so many distractions. There's so much to keep up with. Our world never turns off. We live in a society that doesn't value quiet or solitude or empty space. So if we are going to get that, we have to intentionally... Fight for it. So just, I just ask you, are you really, fully, completely satisfied with life and all of your busyness? Or does your heart yearn for more? Does it bother you for something more? To have a vibrant prayer life, to experience abundant life with God, busyness is also a barrier that has to be removed. And finally, both of those barriers, prideful independence and busyness, are both symptoms of a third and ultimate barrier, which is unbelief. We don't pray because we don't believe that God is good and that he loves us, that he has what we need most, that he knows better than we do what's good for us, or that he has the power to help us. And so, you know, because we don't believe those things about God, we don't pray because we don't believe prayer actually changes or accomplishes anything. But in order to have a vibrant, right, day-to-day prayer life and intimate relationship with God that can bring us lasting peace And satisfaction in our hearts, we have to be convinced of that. We have to know God loves us, cares for us. He can give us what we truly need. He knows better than we do. You know, without faith in that type of God, we'll dwell in unbelief. And we'll sink into other things, the children of unbelief, which is one, is cynicism. You know, life is what it is. It's fatalism. Deal with it. You know, that's just how it is. Or despair. There's no hope. This is kind of what it is. So again, the things that keep us from prayer, those barriers, which one is it for you? Maybe all three. Pride for independence. I can do life on my own, which leads to busyness. I've got to do it all, which means there's no room in my life for quiet and prayer. And both of which would spring from unbelief. I don't believe it's going to do anything. And I don't believe God is good and knows better than I do. So I'm not going to seek him because I don't think it's going to help anything. And so listen, until these things are removed and in faith, we move towards God in prayer, we will continue to be an anxious, weary, cynical, and confused people who find peace, perspective, and God himself to be fleeting. I'll say that again. Listen, until those barriers are removed from our lives, we will continue to be generally a people characterized by anxiety, weariness, worry, cynicism, and confusion. And we will find peace, perspective, an experience of God himself to be fleeting. We have, those have to be removed. The good news is, as messy as we are, we're not hopeless. Because the gospel is the power to remove all those barriers in our lives. Jesus, he can crush those things in our hearts. He destroys pride, the gospel does. Busyness, unbelief. And only there can we find a calm and a, and a hope because in him we see a God who does love us, who does care, a God who does intervene in our daily affairs and, and who can give us what we're seeking, the one who opens the way to God our Father. So I want to look at those things in more detail in a minute. But first, in order to receive those things, we have to be in the right posture, a people who are in the right posture uh, who enter prayer and to know God more intimately. And so if you see the second point, the posture for prayer, Now, we just saw, Luke shows us that Jesus was constantly withdrawing from everyone, right? He's stopping, waiting, listening, and praying. And you might say, why? He's God. Even if you're not a Christian, you may generally know the claim that Christians believe Jesus was God in the flesh. He could do all things. Okay, yes, so why was he stopping and praying and listening and all this stuff? This is the mystery of the incarnation. That God in the flesh, Jesus would limit himself, become a lowly servant, and go through life leaning into his Father. He humbly limited himself and went through life dependent on God. He knew he couldn't meet the demands of life and have peace or love others without working from a place of communion with his Father. I mean, Jesus makes this shocking statement in John 5. He said, I can do nothing on my own. Now, you might say, Jeff, you obviously misread the scriptures. Jesus could not have said that. (laughs) That was somebody else. No, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. He lived a life of total dependency, which drove him into prayer to his father. If Jesus needed that, do you think we do? Listen, a needy and dependent heart, that's the soil that a life of prayer and intimacy with God can grow in. If we've got it all together... If we have life figured out, Christianity Christianity will not work for us. If that's your approach in life, I've I've got this, then then don't expect God's nearness. You see, that's that's one of the aspects of the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. Listen, it's not the strong, it's the weak, right? We're often reminded of this. It's not the competent and self-assured, it's the unqualified. It's not the, I can do life on my own. It's, I can do nothing on my own. Lord, I need you. And that's where we meet God. But that's a problem for us because we don't generally feel or live that way. Like, Lord, I need you. We live as if uh, we think we have all we need or, you know, I have the ability to get what I need. So therefore, I'm not desperate in life. And that's what's so dangerous about security and comfort, right? That's why the scriptures warn, to a certain degree, but a more heavy emphasis on money and things like that. Our careers, our 401k, these things, they're not bad things in and of themselves. But listen, if we're not careful, they can unconsciously create a false sense of independence in us so that we don't feel desperate or helpless. So, therefore, we don't pray or yearn to seek and know God because we're good. And so, until those things are stripped away and we really see our true state of desperation behind all of that stuff, that apart from Him, we are completely helpless. To see that those things can't hold up in life and in death. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Right? Those things can't bring lasting peace. They can't deliver and really satisfy my soul at its deepest level. So we have to see our helplessness and God's goodness. And when we see those two things, we'll be a praying people. We'll experience life with God. And I think a few things just quickly testify to our need, show us our need. You know, first, so this is very simple. Our humanity and our just limitations show us our need. We try to be everywhere at all times, know-it-alls, fix-it-alls, and we can't do it. We can't meet all the demands on us. I can't meet even the expectations I have for myself. I mean, really, think about it. We, we can do one thing at a time. We need food and sleep, and we occupy about one square foot on the surface of the earth, and we seriously think we got this. I can do life on my own. I can, you know... Yeah, have you ever seen the Jerry Seinfeld thing when the dad holds the mattress on going 80 miles an hour down the road? He's like, I got this. With just like one arm. Look it up. It's funny. No, you don't got this, right? Look that up. (laughs) Right, we don't. The the, the Bible says we are a vapor. You're a morning mist. You're here and then you're gone. You're frail. You're, You're dust. Most of life is completely out of our hands. Our humanity and just our limitations testify to our dependency. And secondly, the hard stuff in life shows us our neediness. Have you ever really suffered? Have you ever really suffered? And if so, what did it do to you? You know, I know some of you closely. And I, can, I think I can confidently say I've never seen you more sensitive to God's spirit than when you were in the midst of a hard time in your life. Why is that? Because you were doing life on your knees you were you were needy you were constantly seeking god's help and his peace and you know in prayer and you were experiencing that i've never been more aware of my lack of control and my complete helplessness than in times of suffering that's why god's suffering mysteriously can be god's grace to us it's like a black light that god comes and shines over our lives it shows us what's always really there the reality that we're never really in control of anything And when you see that, it drives you into God. It drives you to prayer. So I ask you, you know, maybe you're not suffering right right now and you're a Christian. You know, now that the storm has passed, have you drifted back into a life of self-sufficiency? You know, the the absence of prayer would, would show that you have. And I would say you were in a better place through the suffering leaning on God than you are now when there's no storm and you've got this. Suffering shows us our need. So we're physically needy. You know, our humanity shows us that. We're uh, emotionally needy. So, you know, suffering shows us that, but we're also spiritually needy. And the cross of Jesus shows us that. Even if you're not a Christian, you're somewhat probably familiar with Jesus and the cross. But let me ask what does the cross communicate to you? God's love for the world? Okay, yeah, absolutely. Some form of injustice? Yes, there's an aspect of that, okay. But before that, what's down in the cross, behind everything else? the cross primarily communicates that the reason the whole act was necessary in the first place is that we have a problem so deep that we can't solve it and it took nothing less than the death of the Son of God to make things right. That's how needy we are. So the Bible says that, you know, beneath all of our anxiety, the real source, behind all the situations that get us worked up is in a sense that that everything's not okay, is the reality that we're not on peaceful terms with the one who made us. That we've abandoned him for other things that might satisfy us. Which is an act of rebellion. And God has to act in a way that's consistent with his character. Yes, God is good. He's also just. Right? He has to give justice to those who have, you know, rebelled against him. Which would be death and hell, the Bible talks about. Right? Being removed, separated from God. The cross shows us our true state. We are helpless we are spiritually helpless it it even goes so far to say you can't do anything to make it right either not even a bunch of good like spiritual religious stuff that can't do it either you're that helpless the cross shows us that but it also shows us that God can do something about that and he did do something for us right the gospel you hear that word thrown around it's good news it's the good news that God compelled by his love for us gave his son Jesus who lived the perfect life for us, the one that you and I have not lived. He did that. Additionally, he died the death we deserved. He took our punishment so that we could be forgiven. And furthermore, he came to life again. He defeated death so that me and you, by faith in him, can be guaranteed of eternal life. And it's all by grace, which is unmerited favor. That's good news. And because Jesus, in that, he's broken down that ultimate barrier that stood between us and God, By faith in Him, we can know God. We can even enjoy His presence with us. We can even get alone with God. Right? Hebrews 4, we read that. We have access to Him because Jesus was alone without God on the cross. Do you remember that? The one who had always had communion with His Father for eternity was cut off from Him on the cross. You remember when Jesus prayed on the cross? He cried out to His Father and there was no answer. He said, my God... My God, why have you forsaken me? And only silence. He was abandoned to experience our hell without comfort or peace so that we could have those things, so that we would be reconciled to God, restored to a right relationship with God. Not only that, but assured that God is with us and He even hears us. Do you know your need? That will determine what your prayer life looks like. If you know it, it'll drive you into him. So the gospel, listen guys, it, it, it blows up those barriers of prayer that we mentioned earlier. Those barriers to a life of prayer and knowing God. You know, to our prideful hearts, our functional, independent living that says, I can do life on my own. I got this. The cross says, no, you don't got this. I got you. Rest in that, right? When you try to do it on your own, that's when things went awry. Don't try prideful, independent living. Live with me. Do life with me. The gospel replaces the barrier of pride with humility. And to busyness, you know, when we we live life, we we refuse to slow down and we just kind of add God on. You know, to that, the gospel shows us that coming to know who God really is and how great his love for us is, it can't be done on the run. Listen, no great thing can be learned rushing through it. And the greatest thing, our lostness, and our foundness in the gospel, right? God's love for us, what he's done for us, and what that means. That cannot be apprehended and transform us if we're just running through life and we never slow down. We have to slow down to get that. Look at the cross. Do you not marvel at that? The depth of the gospel says, be still and know that I'm God. Behold, wrestle with that truth. Come to know God. Busyness is removed. And finally, to unbelief. I don't have a prayer life because you know what? I don't believe God cares what's going on in my life. I don't believe he is who he says he is, that he's for me. God says, look at my son. I've given you everything. If if I've given you my son, do you think I'm going to hold anything back from you now? Do you still think that I don't know what's best for you? This is my heart for you. Trust me. You're my my beloved child. I do all things well for you. Come and rest. The gospel replaces the barrier of unbelief with, with faith. He is good. And so we see that, you know, doing life on your own, it's not heroic as as Western individualism would have us think, but instead it's prideful and it's foolish and it's deadly. But doing life moment by moment, abiding in Jesus, which expresses itself through intentional times of quiet and prayer, it will lead to satisfaction, even if not full understanding. It will lead to perseverance and joy, even in suffering. It'll lead to love towards others, and it'll lead to hope, because it'll give us a less busy heart. So the secret to a life of prayer and intimately knowing God is found in that counter-cultural declaration that I can do nothing on my own. That we would be a people who say that and live that. That's why we need Him. So the gospel removes all those barriers. It puts us in a posture of dependency, and then we're ready to receive what God can give us in prayer. So what is that? Let's look at the third point, the promise and the practice of prayer. You say you know, to give up control, to put myself in such a vulnerable position of dependency, to you know push my schedule aside, I might not get all those things done, to slow down and seek God. I need to know some things. What can the gospel give me that doing all that stuff won't? And I think the gospel guarantees us three things that God can give us in prayer. One, this is what we need. We need promises that assure us in this life. We need promises. Secondly, We need a perspective that helps make sense of life. And finally, we need a peace that can calm our hearts. Prayer can give us all three of those things. And I think they build on one another. So let's look at those. First, in prayer, we get a better hold of God's promises. Listen, you can't just look at the gospel and the truths and the promises that God gives you, uh, you know, in this abstract realm and just know them and apply them. That comes through times of solitude and prayer. And prayer that's when you wrestle those promises that you know that you have in the gospel. The Spirit takes them and plants them in your heart, and your mind, and you bring those promises to bear on the specific situations of your life that bring you worry and fear and weariness. You know, I know that God is with me, but in prayer I know that and it calms my heart. You know, God has a promise for every one of your fears. And they will give us the assurance we need that all will be well. I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm doing all this for your good. Right? Nothing can separate you from my love. That's when we hear the voice of our Father that comforts us fearful little children so we can lie down and rest. We pray to really know God's promises, bring them to bear on our lives, which then changes our perspective. Right? Now, that, now that I have those promises, prayer reorients us to God's reality. It brings a new perspective on life. Because God's promises now clear my vision. I'm seeing life from the top down. Not, not my circumstances, the bottom up. I see life through the lens of what God has promised to me in Jesus, which means we don't lose heart so easily. But instead, we see mountains of, of hope, right? That, that cast a shadow of hope over the apparent wrongs of today. And in prayer, we grab onto to that. We trust in Him. We find fellowship with Him. And we, we, we gain a gospel-tinted perspective that clears up my confusion and fear in life. you confused, you fearful, put your faith in Jesus, open his word, go to prayer, he will clear that up for you. And ultimately what that means is we get his promises, we get a new perspective, and we get peace. And that's what we're really after. That's what we're longing for. That's what we need. The Apostle Paul said in prayer, God gives us a peace That surpasses all understanding. Have you ever experienced that? Circumstances didn't change. But you've got a peace that surpasses all understanding. All three of these could be summed up. And prayer is communion with God. We see his heart for us in the gospel. And what we ultimately get is him, himself. He is our ultimate promise. Right? His perspective is the true reality that I get to join in on through prayer. And ultimately I get him because he is our peace. That's what prayer gives us through Christ. And so as we close, just a couple practical principles of how do I pray. You know, if that, I would just say, one, don't let prayer intimidate you. But I think the idea of prayer and all that, it's kind of unknown. It intimidates us. Pray like a child to your father. Don't feel this, you know, intimidation that I need to dress my language up and make it fancy and pray in like King James language. Pray like a child, like your child goes to a parent. If you don't know what to say, pray the Bible. Use the Psalms. It's a gift. Read it as your prayer. You know, read a verse and and let it kickstart your prayers. Let it stir up your heart if you don't know what to pray for. That's a good thing. Secondly, get alone. Eugene Peterson, he's a pastor, he said, a life of prayer is not accomplished on the run. So we need to set aside, right, deliberate times where we can get alone and turn everything off and withdraw from the noise. Are you doing that? How can you do that? Prophet Isaiah, I love this verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 15, he said, in returning in rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. In quietness and in trust. We have to enter life out of a place of stillness and quiet and intimacy with God if we want to live with joy and strength, and a calm heart in this busy world. Enter life out of that, like Jesus did. So, you know, how can you be more strategic about seeking God, about, about uh, how to develop a rhythm in your life of withdrawing from all the noise to cultivate a life of prayer and know God? How can you begin to do that? Very practically, think about that. And finally, just a word on frequency. You, you may remember the verse Paul wrote. He said, pray without ceasing. And yes, that's possible, right? A life of prayer talking to God as you walk, as you drive. Yes, amen, that is good. That's good stuff. But a focused daily prayer time is necessary to to deal with all the stuff in our hearts and to shine God's love in Christ on it. So I would say, super practical, right? Start with 10 minutes of prayer in the morning. Get up 10 minutes earlier, turn everything off, and pray. Pray yourself to sleep and go from there. Because we are trying everything else. Those are the things we long for in life. We're trying everything else to get some type of assurance, promises that it's all going to be okay. Some type of perspective to clear up the confusion and the fear and the worry, which will give me peace. And all these other places we're running, they're not working. They don't last. God offers that in the gospel. He guarantees it through the work of his son. And we receive it and experience that and rest in it through a life of prayer. So I hope that encourages you, convicts you, because it does mean uh, to seek and know that he is God. And we, and we do that even now as we come to this table. Let's enter it, come to it, in a spirit of prayer. Because again in James, God promises us. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So let's seek him even now. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you're a God who sees us. You hear us. You know our hearts, our struggles, our fears, our worries better than we do you care, you come down. You've shown us that you've done that in Jesus and you continue to do it. So this morning, God, create in us a posture of neediness, and dependency and helplessness so that you can work with us to give us hope, to give us strength, so that we see your promises more clearly and we find the peace and the perspective that we're longing for and we thank you for the gift of prayer that you hear us, that you come. So come now, even now, Lord Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, we end every service with a benediction, which is a reminder of the promise that if your faith is in Jesus, that God is with you. And so prayer doesn't determine the objective reality that whether God is with you or not. The gospel does. The finished work of Jesus determines that. But what prayer does determine is your experience of that reality, of knowing that God is with you. And so this week, um, pull away from rush and hurry to the stillness of God's peace. Behold and know that He is God and rest in that. And so, receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you His peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in God's peace.